Amen. Thank you, Mike. Well, we uh, start a new series today called Christmas Is, uh, with December here upon us. And so over the course of the next couple weeks, we'll be talking about some of the themes that rise up out of the Christmas season. Christmas is peace, Christmas is family, Christmas is charity, and today Christmas is hope. Psychologists tell us that hope is one of the most essential ingredients for life, uh, that hope is just something we can't live without. Without hope, uh, people begin to just uh, shrivel up um, in their outlook on things. Franchise, franchise team owners know this because when fans lose hope, <coughs> when fans lose hope, um, you know, ticket sales go down. Governments know this because when citizens lose hope, revolution happens. Um, employers know that when hope uh, is kind of lost to their people, that morale goes down and productivity goes down. Um, doctors know this, that when patients lose hope, there's nothing much more that modern medicine can do for that person. And so, friends, hope is an important ingredient in life, and that's what we want to talk about today, the subject of hope. Where can we find hope? Where does true hope lie? And how can we get more of the hope that we need? Our text comes from John chapter 11, not what you think of as a typical Christmas text, but we're going to go there nonetheless. John chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 25 through 27, just a little bit of quick background here. John chapter 11, Jesus comes to uh, raise Lazarus from the dead, and there's Mary, and there's Martha, and Martha's feeling pretty despondent because Lazarus has just died, and she loved Lazarus, and Lazarus has been in the grave now for three days, and she's feeling very hopeless. And so Jesus comes and speaks some hope into the heart of Martha. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word, as is our custom, and we stand for the reading of God's word, as we say here, because we don't really care what Facebook has to say. We don't care what people and our, co our co-workers have to say. Our mother-in-law's opinion really doesn't matter. Matter. The only opinion that matters is what God thinks, and we don't have to wonder what he thinks because he wrote it down. But I, I, I care about what my mother-in-law thinks. I just want to <laughs> point that out for sitting here today. But nevertheless, John chapter 11, let's read uh, verses 20. I'm going to hear about that later. Verses 25 through 27. Here we go. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You may be seated. Thank you all so much. Um, now, take that verse and hang on to it. We're going to come back to it here in just a few minutes. But just, just hold on to that for just a second. First of all, I want to point out to you what hope is, like define it, what it is. Hope is this feeling that one day things will be better, that the way that things are going right now, that maybe it's not going your way, maybe you're feeling like Martha was feeling, you're feeling pretty down, you're feeling pretty despondent, you're feeling pretty hopeless. And so, but hope is that feeling that, you know what, it's not always going to be this way, that things can move forward, that there can be a better day on the horizon. Friends, that's what hope is. It's the expectation of a brighter future. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 Paul tells us in his letter there, in the opening lines of that letter, that Jesus Christ is hope. Like if, it's, if hope can be embodied in one person or in one thing, he says Jesus is hope. And so what I want to share with you this morning are three ways in which the Lord Jesus is our hope. Okay, three reasons for you why Jesus is our hope here at the Christmas season. The first reason that Jesus is our hope is that he's our hope for the world. Now, when I'm talking about Jesus being our hope for the world, I'm thinking about the second coming of Christ. I'm thinking about when Christ will return from heaven to gather together his church, to gather together the believers, and scoop us on up 
to blessed heaven. And so the, the scriptures refer to Jesus in the second coming as our blessed hope. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, While we wait, that is, for the return of Jesus, for our blessed hope, uh, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ at his second coming. And you notice there that the Bible refers to Jesus in his second coming as the blessed hope. This idea that where we can find hope in the world is by looking to the return of Christ. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6 says that what the return of Christ will result in. It says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf will be together. Even the little child, it says, will be able to lead them. And then verse 8 says that, hey, look, the weaned child will be able to go and play over the whole of the cobra. Not Gordon. But anyway, the little child will be able to go and play over the whole of the cobra, it says. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder or the viper's den. To think about that, that a little child, after Jesus returns here to the earth, the world will be like Eden again. There will be no destruction. There will be no death. There will be no threat, no danger, that even the adder, even the cobra will be able to be played with by a little child. Um, and, and he continues to say, verse 9, what it's going to be like after the return of Christ. Verse 9, People shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain that is in Israel, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The old order of things, the way that we experience this world now, will be gone, will be ushered, ushered out with the return of Christ, that Christ will set all things back new and fresh. There'll be no danger, there'll be no threat, there'll be no, uh, no wars, none of that sort of thing. So how are we going to resolve the problem of tribal hatred in Africa? with the return of Christ. That's what the Bible says, that he's our blessed hope. How are we going to resolve the problem of racial hatred in our world? With the return, ultimately, with the return of Christ. He's our blessed hope. How are we going to solve the problem of the land wars in the Middle East where they're, everybody's back and forth about that piece of real estate there in Jerusalem? How are we going to resolve that? It's going to be resolved, friends, ultimately, finally, with the return of Christ. How are we going to solve the drug problems in our world? How are we going to resolve the crime problems and the deadbeat dad problems and the poverty problems and the ecological problems in our world? They're going to be solved, friends, with the return of Jesus Christ. That's how it's going to be resolved once and for all. And so the Bible declares about Jesus' second coming that he is our blessed hope for the world. Listen, only Jesus can solve these problems. And it's even better than that. Not only can Jesus solve these problems, but the Bible says that he will solve these problems, right? So Jesus is our blessed hope for the world. Not only is Jesus our hope for the world, but he also gives hope to those of us who are presently living in the world. That's number two. Jesus is our hope in the world. Jeremiah writes about what it's like for him living in the world. He writes in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. He says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall of it. Verse 20. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down or is depressed within me. You say, what in the world is Jeremiah talking about? What's he so depressed about? Well, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for the third and final time. They tore down the city walls. They tore down the temple. They decimated the city. They drug off some of its inhabitants into exile. The rest they slaughtered and left for dead there in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is sitting on top of the heap of the temple. And he's talking in lamentations about the smoldering ashes that are rising around him. That this is God's city. This is Zion. This is where God meets with us here on earth. And it's in shambles. And so Jeremiah is talking about that. And so then he says, verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, 
And therefore I have, what's the next word? Hope. I have hope. Maybe I was reading from the NIV. What do y'all got going on there? Yeah, that's right. All right. I'm not sure what I heard. But in any case, you say, Gordon, how in the world could Jeremiah possibly have had hope in the midst of sitting in the midst and all those ashes rising up, all that smoke rising up around him? Well, keep reading. Verse 22, he says, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Friends, that's where Jeremiah finds his hope. He finds his hope in the Lord and remembering who his Lord is and remembering who his God is, that he is a steadfast, loving God whose mercies are new every morning and who he declares is faithful. Listen, what brought hope back to Jeremiah's heart was the faithfulness of God. Now, what does it mean for somebody to say that they're faithful? It means that that person is dependable. It means that that person is somebody you can count on. It means that they're going to be there when you need them. And as followers of Christ, this is where our hope in the world comes from. It comes from the fact that we know we have a God that we can count on, a God that has made us rich in wonderful promises and that he will keep the promises that he has made us. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says these words. Titus says, God does not lie. It's impossible for him to do it. Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie so that we who have fled for, ref- for him to refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, verse 19. And we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. This idea that God has made us promises that God does not lie, that God will be faithful to carry out the promises which he's made us. Friends, if you want to tie your boat up to something that isn't going anywhere, tie them up to the promises of God. Because the God who made them does not lie. He is faithful. He will carry them out, each and every one. A couple of years ago, I went home to Delaware for Thanksgiving. And while I was there, there was a lady who had come, and she was part of the extended family. And she was talking with my mom about how her son had kind of walked away from the Lord and wasn't serving the Lord. He was into some stuff that was just really egregious. And this was not the way that he was raised. This lady and her husband had raised their children in the church. They raised their children to know the Lord. And here's her son, and he's off, and he's living and doing things that are just totally dishonorable, something not. And she felt like, she said to my mom, she said, I feel like I have failed my child. I feel like I have failed him. And you know what I wanted to say to that mom? I wanted to go and I wanted to bring uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 to her. You know what Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says? It says this. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Friends, God has made you a promise. And I wanted to say to that mom, God has made you a promise. And the God who made you that promise, the child that you raised to know the Lord in the church, to follow the Lord, God has made you a promise. And the God that made that promise is faithful. The God that made that promise does not lie. The God that made that promise will redeem the life of your child, will draw him unto himself. So in your despair, in your anxious moments, you cling to the promises of God. And in the meantime, keep praying and know that God's timing is perfect. Friends, God will keep his word to you. You say, how is he going to do that? I don't know. I mean, how am I supposed to know? I don't know how God's going to do that or when God's going to do that. But what I know is who God is and that God is faithful and that God does not lie when he makes promises, friends. God will keep the promises that he's made us. So I have hope in the world through Jesus Christ. All right, number three and finally, in Jesus Christ, God gives us hope beyond the world. Jesus himself said, John chapter 14 and verse 19, he said, because I live in you, 
you who believe in me, he said, you also will live. And here Jesus is not referring to his earthly life, he's referring to his resurrection. He's referring to the fact that he rose from the dead beyond the grave and is alive forevermore. And what Jesus is saying is that if you and I are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to infuse you with that same forever, eternal state of living beyond the grave, resurrection life that he's got. And this is why he said to Martha when she was feeling hopeless, she was looking at the grave, looking at Lazarus and thinking to herself, well, Lazarus is just gone now. And Jesus says to her, John chapter 11 and verse 25, we read it at the start, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies here on earth, yet shall he live in heaven. And in a week's time, Martha, when, this, when I rise from the grave, you'll believe that I indeed rose from the grave because you're about ready to see Lazarus do just the same. Friends, this is where our hope is, beyond the grave. It comes in the fact that Jesus lives eternally, and that means that we can live eternally just like him. Now, I love this quote from Dwight L. Moody. He was a famous preacher. Um, I think he spent most of his time up in Chicago and then later in New York and then later out into the world. Um, and I've never read any quote anywhere by anybody that has precisely stated this hope that we have in Jesus Christ for eternity. Dwight L. Moody said, One day you will read in the papers that Dwight L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, into a body that death cannot touch that sin cannot taint. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of God's Spirit in 1855. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of God's Spirit will never die. Friends, that is hope beyond the grave. And we have that hope in our Savior. Let's summarize. Because we have a returning Savior, we have hope for the world. Because we have a faithful Savior, we have hope in the world. Because we have a living Savior, we have hope beyond the world. Now, friends, if that doesn't give you hope this morning, I don't know what possibly could, right? Friends, we've all got hope in the universe wrapped up in a little baby, Jesus, in the manger. You say, Gordon, okay, I've got one more question for you. Fire away. You said, don't you ever, Gordon, get kind of down? Don't you ever get in that place like where Jeremiah is? Don't you sometimes get despondent? Don't you sometimes start feeling like things are slipping away and like things just aren't going in a good direction? Don't you ever get to feeling that way? Well, you know I do. You know I do. Um, but I remember the words of David, the psalmist David, who himself felt down at times, who himself felt despondent, who himself had a lot of obstacles that rose up and came his way and came through his life. And so David writes, Psalm chapter 42 and verse 5, Why are you downcast? Why are you depressed? Why are you feeling pitiful, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's my salvation. In other words, David says, yeah, I have some dark times. I mean, I've been hopping from cave to cave, living on the run, Saul's after me. But in those darkest hours, in those valleys of the shadow of death, in those hours of despair, David says, I remember who God is, and I have hope. And so D David uses that to flip what he's feeling into feelings of hope 
Um, and so David's saying to us this morning, hey, don't despair. Yeah, you may be going through one of those valleys. You may be uh, hopping from cave to cave. You, things may not be going in the direction that you want them to go. But put your hope in God. It's a God who is faithful. It's a God whose mercies are new every morning. It's a God who is steadfast in his love. He's a returning Savior. You need look no further for your blessed hope than that which is found in Jesus Christ. You say, Gordon, all this talk about Jesus, that's really great. But what if I'm not a Christian? I mean, what if I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What difference does any of this make to me? Well, the Scriptures tell us in John chapter 3 and verse 16 that whoever believes in Him, the word there is whoever. It's not exceptions, not how well somebody's dressed or what their past might be or how much money they may be able to give. The Bible looks toward none of that. The Bible says that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have this everlasting life. But friends, there's a condition to receive that promise of everlasting life, and that is that you have to believe in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus. This is more than just saying, yeah, I acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came here to the earth. This is putting your trust for eternity in the work that he accomplished on the cross. Not in your good works, not in your philanthropy, not in helping uh, folks at Christmas time, but that you're putting your faith and your trust for eternity in the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and in nothing else. It's the blood of Jesus plus nothing else. So friends, this morning, you can have hope that the rest of us feel in Jesus Christ by putting your faith and your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, this time of year reminds us of your coming into the world um, to provide a way for us to have our sin problem resolved, to have this uh, sin which keeps us away from you and at a distance from you, Lord, to have those sins washed away once and for all, forever. Lord, if there be any here today that have not taken that step to make you their Lord and their Savior, Lord, we pray during this quiet moment of communion that they would call upon your name, that they would put their faith and their trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins and would know from this moment forward that heaven is their eternal home. Lord, we thank you as we gather around this table. We're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body that we do indeed have hope both for the world, in the world, and beyond the grave. Lord, we place this quiet moments of communion in your hands. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak and minister to our hearts. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.